Lawyers of Reddit. At what point, when working for a defendant, did you realize my client is a monster? A lot of years ago, I used to work as a solicitor's representative. Cases go to Crown Court, barrister deals, and I am there for the paperwork. Additional stuff with client, etc. 70-something-year-old man had been in jail for 15 years for an assault on a child. Solicitor and barrister working on getting him released due to him getting clean reports from just about everyone. Guards took him out of jail to a dentist, and as he entered the waiting room, he saw two children and ran straight at them. Guards stopped him. Three weeks later at court, I was the one that sat him down in a room to explain that no, this isn't a hearing to release you. It is so you could be committed to a mental health secure facility for the rest of your life. He didn't take that well. I shed no tears. I am not a lawyer, but a legal assistant. We got a client off of a murder charge. Two weeks later, she was caught with a similar weapon and situation. Except this time, the guy didn't die. Not the client, but my managing partner. The client was a senile 90-year-old man. He wanted to sell land worth a little less than a billion dollars to some businessmen. Suffice to say, there were many who wanted to take advantage of the situation. One such person, to my dismay, was our managing partner. The partner wanted to insert a provision that would have effectively funneled about 60% of the proceeds solely to him. You can see how his eyes gleamed at the mere mention of money. The provision, quote, got lost in the revisions. I was doing the revisions. I'm no longer part of that scummy firm. My general psychology professor worked for the state of Arkansas assessing criminals to see if they would qualify as criminally insane. He told us a story one time about a guy who would get glass shards and hide them underneath his skin, presumably to use at a more opportune time. He said his interview with the guy made the hairs on the back of his neck stand on end. I'm on the other side, but I've got a defendant who went to prison for starving three adopted children to the point that they needed weeks of hospitalization, then got out of prison and married a guy with children so that she could start starving them too. Listening to her interview where she attempts to justify what she did to both sets of kids disturbed me more than any of the murder cases I've worked on. We had a client try and enforce a post-employment restraint against a 19-year-old receptionist after she quit and started working for a competitor. The reason? He wanted to, quote, make her life hard because she wouldn't sleep with him, a creepy 57-year-old man. Him trying to sleep with her was the reason she quit. Unsurprisingly, he didn't take our advice to discontinue his claim, and so we ended up sending him elsewhere. Hey, so uh, at this point in recording, I kind of realized that the thread continues into a whole bunch of really sad, depressing, graphic, and violent stories. So I'm just letting you know now, this is where things start getting really bad. Seriously, viewer discretion is advised. I listened to a 911 call where the victim's throat was slit while on the call by her client. I will never forget her gurgling and sounding like she was dying. Somehow, she ultimately lived through this, saying, He killed me. He killed me. She tried to sell her baby. I found out during a hearing in front of the judge. Oh, I can share a good story. I had a teacher in high school who was a former lawyer. We always asked him why he gave up his practice to start teaching. He finally caved and explained that his last case was the defense of three people. Apparently, there had been a fourth. It was two couples who, in the act of a drunken, drugged-out orgy, decided to kill, partially eat, and dismember one of the women. I guess it seemed like a good idea at the time. As a lawyer, he said it was pretty open and shut, but he had to get his clients the best result possible, and he was exposed to all the horrid details, the pictures, and their reasoning. 
My teacher had such a far-off look when he explained it that we could see it really got to him. The first and last family law case was assigned to me as a first-year associate. My client broke his wife's jaw and said that if they were home in Russia, he would have killed her because he could pay his way out of prison there. My mom is a lawyer. This is the story about how she quit being a public defender. When you're a public defender, you don't get to choose your cases. She got assigned a young man who, with the help of his girlfriend, had gotten a kitten from a quote, free-to-a-good home ad in the newspaper. Then they brought it home and gave it to their dog as a chew toy. I think they also filmed it. So yeah. She said she needed a shower after every meeting with him. Cancelled her PD contract after the case concluded. I've done a lot of prison legal aid, and I could tell stories about kitty diddlers that would turn you green, but instead, I'll turn you green a different way. I had a kid, 17, who was mildly cognitively disabled due to brain trauma he sustained at the hands of his birth parents, who ended up with a really wonderful foster care family and thrived. He was a popular kid in school, good athlete, got a girlfriend, and invited her to meet up and be teenagers one night in a corn silo, which I guess is a thing that country kids do. I don't know. This all comes from the pre-sentence investigation report I read before taking his case. But this girl met him at the silo and they were hanging out inside. By his account, they were having a nice time and he was really enjoying himself. Then, for no particular reason, he picked up a 2x4 and bashed her skull in. He then used a combination of very crude farm implements, like shovels and hoes, to chop her body up and bury it in the corn and went home like nothing had happened. Hey, you asked. Had a divorce client. Husband and father, who disowned his autistic son, tried to argue that he should get all of his wife's retirement having not worked for 12 years, contacted me during the height of Hurricane Sandy. He was in the Bronx and me in Manhattan, saying he wanted to hold his wife in contempt for not paying him that day while the storm slammed NYC, told me I was making a huge mistake getting married. My wedding date was November 3rd, four days after Sandy, saying that I was going to be miserable and regret it. I could go on. But the worst was when, several months later, since his divorce was taking a long time, he sent death threat letters to myself and my wife saying that he had hired an executor to kill the two of us if his divorce wasn't finalized in 60 days. Called the police and they said he left his premises one day earlier. I heard nothing from him until February 2014 when he emailed me saying he needed a winter coat from his wife and could I help get it for him. Ironically, the divorce didn't have to be completed because he ended his own life before the judge signed the judgment of divorce. TLDR, Miserable guy who wanted to spread his misery and cross the line when he threatened to kill my wife. Edit. For something a little lighter, this Memorial Day weekend reminds me of not my worst client, but definitely my dumbest. I was representing her on a child custody and child support matter. She was calling me on Memorial Day saying she really needed to speak to me. I called her back and asked if it was urgent since it was Memorial Day and all. She said, Oh, I didn't think that Jews celebrated Memorial Day, so I thought you were going to be available. I had a client who was accused of domestic violence. Essentially, he threw his girlfriend out of a second-story window. Now, he's got a terrible history, but so do a lot of my clients, and his attitude is a little entitled, also typical. But he also knows the deal and wants a plea deal, so I'm not really prepared when he absolutely refuses the no-jail offer from the state. Keep in mind, there were like five witnesses. Why? Because they wanted him to pay for her medical bills. Okay, a jerk, but whatever, not the worst. What did it was his counteroffer. I ain't paying that woman's bills. Tell them I'll pay for the window. Prosecutor was not happy. A bit shocked to learn that by throwing someone out of a second-story window in front of five witnesses, it was possible for him to get offered no jail time. 
The first week I started at my current criminal defense firm, I was tasked with cataloging discovery from our client's phone. The phone had multiple, talking around 4,000, videos, photos, and text exchanges with women under 16. Though not all of the girls' ages were confirmed, most, if not all, were under the legal age of consent and many were barely pubescent, naked, and being prostituted over one year. He would lure these girls in in exchange for drugs. Nothing felt totally bizarre until I came across one video where he was clearly forcing himself upon a literal child who was so high on drugs, not willingly, but rather forced, and choking her in the process. When our firm confronted him, he said he was in love with her, and that's why he did it. He would also take these girls to hotels and make them bang with one another while he taped, but nothing beat what I said above. Pretty horrifying stuff for my first week on the job. When this person, an executive, said she was firing any employee who had a serious illness or injury, while promoting fundraisers at a local church for cancer sufferers no less, in part because employees, thinking she'd be sympathetic, would reveal their confidential health info to her. Criminal defense lawyer, I can name a few instances where I was just absolutely disgusted with my client. Caveat, these are mostly years ago when I was taking just any old case. I most practice white collar and federal now. Number one. I won a DUI case because the government messed up on something right before trial was to begin. My client gives me a hug and completely reeks of alcohol. He was driven to court. I took his keys and called his mother. Number two, client who was accused of touching a 12-year-old. He was mid-40s at the time, and I had to shut him down real quick when he tried to tell me how the 12-year-old was coming on to him. Number three, I represented a woman for a grand theft charge. Left her in my office to get some things copied before she left. After she left, I realized my sunglasses and car keys were stolen. I tracked her down in the lobby and told her I was not going to represent her anymore and I would call the police if she didn't empty her pockets in front of me and give me my things. Number four, I had a client who was released after 25 years in prison for murder and then the same day he beats up his prospective new landlord. He ended up getting another 10 years. He was unrepentant and laughed about how he hit the guy so hard his eyeball popped out. I thought, this guy deserves to be in prison. Took the case to trial anyway and, shocker, lost, and he got 10, the max. Number 5. Client who pretended to be a doctor so he could sell steroids. According to the Gov, he had numerous clients who were made to believe that his steroids would cure their cancer. They paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars and some of them died. I just thought that was pure evil. Defended my client in a lawsuit who defrauded his business partners. Evidence was already overwhelming that my client was liable. Client made matters worse by fabricating evidence and presenting it in court. He got called out on it by his dad's attorney who had the same evidence. It tanked my client's case. My client continued lying to me despite the overwhelming evidence showing he fabricated evidence. He lost big. In addition to a large judgment, he got hit with several felonies for fabricating evidence. Also, the business partners my client screwed over were his dad and brother. My significant other's mother, L, was abusive. She frequently hit her husband, was a compulsive liar, and just generally made her family miserable. When they were settling the divorce, the judge initially deemed a testimony from the kids, my SO and her brother, unnecessary, probably because they were minors at the time, and testifying against one of their parents would be hard on them, to say the least. However, the lawyer representing L was really insistent that they testify. Well, it must have been a shock to the lawyer to suddenly have two more witnesses with dozens of accounts of driving under the influence, domestic violence, etc., etc. 
we figured Elle must have lied to her lawyer about some significant details because they were completely caught off guard and more than a little angry after the testimony. We like to believe it helped solidify some of the criminal charges placed against her. It was a nice bit of karma after years and years of gaslighting and false rumors that her own lies got her caught. Content warning, this one's pretty gory. Attorney's wife here. I used to help him file away evidence and reports. Came across a file with video. Curiosity got the better of me, especially when husband told me not to watch it. File gives this story. Woman was at a boyfriend's trailer out in the middle of nowhere, got mad at boyfriend, so smacked him in the head with a metal bat and went on her merry way home. Boyfriend is apparently not a pleasant person, and nobody really misses him or looks for him. He is fired from work in absentia. On day 7, boyfriend's neighbor finally stops by, hears horse screaming, and calls police. That's where the video came from. Day 7. One of the cops was wearing a camera on his uniform. It shows him and his partner going through the house, finding dog feces all over the floor. Boyfriend's two Rottweilers, who were also in the house, went without food for about six days before they started eating bits and pieces of him. The camera shows the moment the cop found the body on its side, rolled it over, and he's blinking. Eyes open, with most of his face gone. The woman didn't even bother to let the dogs out before she left. I do not help file cases anymore. When I had to go to the U.S. Attorney's Office to view the evidence in this case, there they were, hundreds of images of CP that he had traded, the close-up images of genitals that he had taken and sent around the internet, the pictures of his neighbor's daughters playing in their kiddie pool, realized he just could not help himself. But he also never once claimed responsibility or showed remorse, so I don't feel too badly for him. Late to the party, but anyways... My first internship in law school was at a matrimonial law firm in a very wealthy area. Think millionaires and billionaires getting divorced. One of the first cases I worked on involved the parents of a victim of a high-profile school shooting. The parents were divorced and had been prior to the death of the child, and were now battling over who would get the victim's compensation fund money and the funds they received from a fundraiser they set up themselves on a GoFundMe-type site. These were incredibly wealthy people fighting over what was literal chump change to them and asking the public to donate to them as if they needed it. They were so clearly exploiting the death of their child for money and to tick off the other parent. It was honestly one of the most disturbing things I have encountered ever. Not a lawyer, but worked for a law firm as an investigator. One of our clients stabbed an ex-lover multiple times over $100. Perp then ran out of the house all bloody. Neighbor and her teenage daughter see him covered in blood and rush inside to see if they can help while they call 911. Victim is still alive. On the 911 call the daughter made, you can hear the mom singing Amazing Grace while she tried to stop the bleeding. You can also hear the victim, with a stab wound in her neck, gurgling on blood while she tries to sing along. The EMTs arrived in under three minutes, but it took the police 19 minutes from the call to show up to clear the scene for them. She lived for 17 minutes. I saw the photos of the scene with the body still in place. It looked like a scene straight from Dexter. Oh man, I'm always late when I have a good one. Not a defendant, but a divorce. Client is a late 30s woman, two kids, idyllic suburban life with her incredibly lucrative medical profession husband. He caught her cheating. He wanted to patch things up. She decided on a divorce. So far, nothing out of the ordinary, unfortunately. Then I start getting the details. He caught her on his birthday, in their bed, while the kids were downstairs, Dude decided to come home early as a surprise, and his wife was getting banged by a 19-year-old. But wait, there's more. Really fun stuff from the husband. Guy had been treated for gonorrhea twice, and both times he had caught it from his wife. 
The second kid wasn't his. It was obvious because the child was 100% some race and the dad was not that race. Bad stuff, right? Well, entered the texts, emails, etc. She was carrying on like a dozen affairs at any given time, spanning years. She would bring them home and tell the kids they were electricians, plumbers, etc. She'd screw other guys within minutes of dropping her kids off at school. I've met some awful people in my time, but this woman straight up told me how much this guy loved her and how much she manipulated the crap out of him. He knew about a lot of the stuff, and each time he found something new, he just tried to win her back. I don't want to go into the details of what happened, but some money that you get, you really don't want. Lifelong criminal defense lawyer here. To be completely honest, it's not about the offense, but about the person. I've had people accused of murder that I really kind of liked and thought well of. I've had people accused of shoplifting who have given me the heebie-jeebies and seemed like psychopaths. Speaking purely from a criminal standpoint, having a client who is a monster doesn't matter in terms of your duty to them, but it does make the job less pleasant. My worst clients have been people who are comfortable scamming others of their money. Murder, robbery, and most crimes involve regular people who did or may have done something stupid due to alcohol or situations. But the client you keep an eye out are the ones charged with fraud and the like. Liars, cheats, and all-around shady people, generally speaking. Even the gangs operate on a code of conduct. An old-fashioned war-like code of conduct. Honor and courage are important to them, even though they commit crimes. 22 years threatened twice. So not that bad. The real danger? Not in criminal law. It's family law. That's where people get really heated. It's personal. Prosecutor here. Most of us in this profession have the utmost respect for those on the other side of the aisle. Most people really don't know or understand the really messed up stuff that we have to witness and deal with on a daily basis. There's a reason attorneys have the highest percentage of alcoholics by profession. I never thought my client is a monster, but there are a few I thought were idiots or liars or both. Two of my favorites are a client who instructed me, against my advice, to object to the temporary judge even though we had just discussed it and I had just told the judge we were okay with him. And a client who testified pretty much the exact opposite of what she had told me in our initial meetings and what we had repeatedly discussed. Civil defense here, so maybe not as juicy as some of the criminal defense folks. Some of the work I do is employment defense, particularly sexual slash age harassment slash discrimination cases. I'm pretty cynical and see a lot of cases where plaintiffs are full of it, particularly in harassment slash discrimination cases. In one case, I was defending a company and that company's manager jointly. The manager seemed like a straight up guy and I pride myself in being a good judge of character. I was pretty convinced the case was just payback from a disgruntled employee. To my credit, the plaintiff, a 30 year old female, was a really poor employee by all accounts. Still. It didn't prepare me from what I found during a review of every email the company had stored on their servers. Not only did this guy stick his hand down this woman's shirt without consent, when she threatened to go to HR, he said he'd get her fired and make sure she never got a job again. The lady was a single mother with three kids. He also propositioned her for screwing in exchange for a day off. He thought the email had been wiped because the company had a one-year retention policy. Apparently, some of the company's older emails remained on a server before the policy was put in place because of the migration of the emails from an older outsourced IT company. Not sure if my terminology is right here. I had to substitute out of the case thereafter for conflict reasons since my two clients' interests were no longer aligned. Very disturbing content warning. 
Even though I've made a throwaway, I'm going to be a bit vague because I still take my ethical duties to former clients seriously and can't breach privilege or the NDA I signed. This is a story from a long time ago, during the summer after my first year of law school while I was briefly working at a well-known criminal defense firm. The client whose case I was working was one of several defendants charged with a conspiracy to commit murder. Three individuals had committed the murders, and several others had either helped plan it, abducted the victims, came along to watch, or filmed it. In order to see whether our client was one of the individuals present at the scene, I had to watch multiple videos of the murders. I watched multiple people brutally killed in about the worst possible way you can imagine. They were chopped into pieces while they were alive and had their skulls stomped in. It wasn't some grainy security footage. It was HD video taken by bystanders just a few feet away. The videos showed someone's brain squirting out of their head and another person screaming as their hands and arms were hacked off. I also had to listen to the audio to see if our client's voice could be heard. The screams were bad. The laughter was worse. It has stuck with me for years and years, and I don't see it going away anytime soon. Thankfully, my internship at that firm ended a few weeks later at the end of the summer. I never looked up the sentence from the case, and have no desire to. In our case, there was no presumption of innocence. The individuals involved had all taken pleas and hoped that the prosecutors wouldn't seek the death penalty. The only thing that would change was whether our client would get the death penalty if he was present slash filming, or life in prison if we showed that he played a more minimal role. Working in criminal defense meant setting my judgment for people aside so that they could be afforded the rights guaranteed to them by the Constitution. I still did my job to the best of my ability, but I found myself lying awake at night for several weeks in a row, praying to every god I knew that each of them involved would fry in the electric chair, and that someone would laugh at their screams too. After that internship, I never returned to criminal law. I now practice civil law, where I help people recover for wrongs done to them.